You're listening to the Just Means Less ACC podcast with your host, Micah, from Fifth Quarter ACC, and Dan from ACC Content. And we are actually joined by a special guest today, Fifth Quarter Boston College. We are going to be previewing the 2020 Boston College Eagles season. Well, it's kind of tough touching on the 2019 uh, year review. And we're excited to have you on, on with us today, Fifth Quarter Boston College. Just wanted to kind of let you introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us why you run the Fifth Quarter BC page and, you know, what you're looking forward to for 2020. Hey, it's, I'm a fifth quarter BC. I live about an hour away from Boston. So naturally being a big fan of fifth quarter, I decided that I should ask if I could run the fifth quarter BC account. They let me do it. And here I am now. I'm very excited for the upcoming season. Going to try and catch a few games, preferably Purdue, North Carolina and Clemson. And I think Halfley's going to bring in a new culture and it's going to be really good for the program. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely going to be something special. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they'll take away the BC man mantra that uh, Steve Adazio had. Um, obviously, 2019 for Boston College was a roller coaster, to say the least. They had games where, you know, the Kansas game, you, you thought that Boston College might be the worst team in the Power Five, let alone the ACC. And then, you know, they, they have games where, you know, Syracuse, where they absolutely ran all over, no pun intended, uh, the, the orange and the carrier dome, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. Obviously that the, the season did not end in the best way in a very unfair bowl matchup in the Birmingham bowl with, uh, you know, a nationally ranked Cincinnati team that probably shouldn't have been playing a six and six team in a bowl game, but you know, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles. And of course, Boston college's wonderful weather delay in bowl games is just, you know, running on two years in a row, hopefully next year. Maybe they just have to send you guys back to Ford Field just so you're guaranteed not to have a weather delay. But then you might have a power outage with your guys' luck. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of want to hear, you know, what did you think about the 2019 year? Uh, obviously, Steve Adazio got fired after the season, which, in my personal opinion, was a little bit too soon. I know that he's been there <laughs> a few years, but, you know, it is Boston College. I don't, I don't think that they're at that program state with 9-3, and 10-2 and two is achievable every single season. But – I'm not around that program as much as you are, so kind of want to hear how you thought 2019 went, the Dazio fire, as well as, you know, bringing in uh, Jeff Halfley. Uh, it was very, very interesting, to say the least, like you said earlier, roller coaster. It's like the thing is, when we look at Adazio and six bowl appearances and seven seasons, but, I mean, they just really, it was with Adazio. It's like they never really felt like they could get to those peaks they were at when they had Ryan, where they were up to number two in the nation and beating Virginia Tech off that last-second miracle throw. And I think really what was the nail in the coffin was like that Cincinnati game just getting absolutely embarrassed on national television by a pretty good Bearcats team. It was just not good news for him after that one. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, it definitely doesn't doesn't help that, you know, you get a little bit of positive momentum by sneaking into a bowl game, and then the next thing you know, you're <laughs> getting absolutely ran all over, like you said, national TV uh, against, uh, you know, again, it's it was a nationally ranked Bearcats team, but, you know, the group of five and, you know, power five stereotypes, ACC never wants to lose to the American Athletic. For those who follow me on Twitter, I spent all day yesterday debating with American Athletic fans. Um, so, you know, obviously that definitely – you know, is a pain in the side and makes sense why they decided to do it. But how do you feel about the Halfley hire? Do you think that he was the right guy for the culture there? Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, if you look at BC historically, there's a few outlier years where they've been in national championship talks. But generally, it's just a solid program as a whole, nothing special. But Halfley comes from a Ohio State team that, almost realistically should have been in the national championship if there wasn't that miscommunication between fields on that last route where he threw the interception. The Ohio State would probably be in the national championship against LSU. And Halfley's going to be bringing a lot of that winning culture over there where from Ohio State where they are just so used to winning. It's like a tradition for the Buckeyes. And I think he's probably going to bring a lot of that same energy over to Boston College. Where, well, I think he'll be here for a long time and he'll definitely – generate some pretty impressive and rememberable teams. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's definitely, uh, I think, the, the vision at Boston College. I was actually going to ask you, so I'm glad you touched on it, you know, how long you think he's going to be there. 
I personally think he's got, you know, at least four or five years to, A, on Boston College's side, you know, get things righted the right way. But also, you know, he's probably not going to leave for another P5 job pretty quickly. I mean, Boston College by no means is a top 10 coaching gig for anybody. No offense to Boston College. But, I mean, it's definitely not a, a bad place to be. I mean, you're in a great market. Um, you're in a big city or just outside of a big city. You know, you have a, a historical program, like you said. I mean, Boston College has been up to, you know, as high as number two in the country. And, you know, in the Matt Ryan era, looked like they were going to be a national title team. So, I mean, obviously it's definitely a lot a lot of uh, positivity is at the uh, at BC. But, you know, obviously there's some big question marks going into 2020. Um, the biggest is going to be replacing A.J. Dillon. You know, obviously he was a huge piece of the Boston College offense. You know, he had some injury problems uh, there his senior year, or junior year, excuse me, his last year there. But I, mean, I kind of want to hear what you think. You know, is, is replacing A.J. Dillon going to be as difficult as some say it's going to be? Or do you think that, you know, Bailey is going to take over the role full time and really pick off pick up where he left off last year where he was averaging 5.7 yards per carry and had seven touchdowns and, and what I would consider a pretty good uh, <laughs> season for a secondary back? Uh, well, it's when you get a player like AJ Dillon, you're never. It's really, really rare. It almost never happens where the next year his replacement comes in and just puts up the same exact numbers, same exact production. But he's Bailey's going to be running behind a good offensive line, and if assuming Phil gets his waiver so he can play, and assuming Tariq Black, like the crystal ball, all his crystal ball predict transfers to Boston College, when you add that vertical threat it's going to open up the running game a lot. And I think Bailey will for sure not be able to replicate AJ Dillon's numbers, but definitely something similar, probably over a thousand yards, over five touchdowns. Definitely would not be surprised to see him put up numbers like that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely gonna be huge. You know, I hate to hate to always, you know, throw negativity in any sort of podcast or anything like that. But I would like to think, I think we're all in agreement here uh, on our side. You know, Boston College is probably the most affected team in the ACC when it comes to what COVID-19 has done between, you know, having a brand new coach who's maybe not necessarily bringing in a completely new system. I mean, he's going to still use the the backs that, you know, Boston College has built off of when Adazio was here. But, you know, like you said, you know, what if Djurkovic does not get his waiver? You know, we won't know until June. And he didn't even go to spring practice to really experience any of that. You know, it is going to be an interesting thing to see if the kid can, you know, obviously he was a highly touted recruit at Notre Dame. You know, didn't really do much at Notre Dame, but, you know, you're backing up Ian Book, a top 10 quarterback in college football. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what they can do. Um, It stinks that they're, you know, really taking a hit from what's been going on um, with all this COVID-19 stuff between, like I said, no spring practice, uh, waiting for uh, an approved uh, immediate transfer for Jerkovic, but you know, 2020 does have a lot of upside. The schedule it's not too overly difficult, especially at a conference. Um, Dan, you've got knowledge off the wazoo when it comes to depth chart uh, for this 2020 Eagles team. I'm gonna kind of let you take this one over and kind of break down what we're looking at for 2020. I know the offensive line is one of the key pieces for for Boston College with five guys that have made you know more than 10 starts at some point in their career. Three that were actually starters last season but kind of want you to take that away and kind of let us know what we're looking at for 2020 yeah so um first off i definitely think about the cancellation of spring practice an argument could be made for boston college along with florida state being the most affected because they do bring in that new coach and yes they return a qb in dennis grossell who does have a bit of experience but um he along with the entire team basically will need to acclimate to that new culture and happily also has a unique path to that coaching position. He was an NFL assistant before coming to Boston, so he does not really have any real head coaching experience either. So it will definitely hurt the program that he doesn't have time to establish himself and get comfortable, so to speak. But um, we look at the um, Boston College depth chart, starting with the offense, like I said, they returned Dennis Grossell at quarterback. I think we both had him last in our quarterback rankings. He's actually a preferred walk-on, so it's kind of cool his story. But they also bring in Notre Dame transfer 
and former four-star recruit Phil Jerkovic, who's a good pocket passer, but we are still awaiting the NCAA decision on that waiver, so I'm not sure about who will be starting there. Um, at running back, A.J. Dillon, their all-time leading rusher and three-year starter, will be passing the torch, so it kind of changes their offensive outlook completely. Seems like David Bailey will take over that role. I know he played well last year. Um, he received a bunch of all ACC votes in addition to, obviously, A.J. Dillon on the first team. Um, the receiving game did not really have anybody that stood out last year, but their leading receiver was um, their tight end, actually, Hunter Long. And I think he's actually one of the better tight ends in the country, in my opinion. He was third team all ACC last year. And I think he takes a much larger step up this year. Um, at wideout, they do return their second and third leading receivers in Colby White and Zay Flowers. But um, both will need to take bigger roles as the two combined for just 800 yards last year. But um, like you said, the thing, aside from Hunter Long, that the Boston College offense had that was really good last year was their offensive line. And they lost a bit there with, first team all ACC guard in John Phillips departing but they do return Alec Lindstrom, Ben Petrula, Zion Johnson and Tanner Verabel who all represented Boston College on those all ACC teams last year to some capacity either are on the first second or third team or received several votes to be on those teams and they bring in two four-star tackles which I will discuss later so um the offensive line should certainly be the strongest part of their offense. Um, I actually hopped on pro football focus and they had a lot of good things to say about the line. They ranked it 35 out of 130 in the FBS, which is good for third in the ACC. And um, we really like Tanner Verable, but had good things to say about the line as a whole in both run and pass blocking. And um, each individual player actually had a, grade over 65 which is I don't know how much you guys are knowledgeable about that but that is very solid I do still worry about their passing game though overall they didn't go to it much last year but without Dylan they may need to look to it a little more this year and it all starts with the man behind center so if it ends up being Grossell he definitely needs to pick up his play yeah absolutely um, obviously, you know, they have a, a lot to, to look forward to in terms of, you know, what ifs <laughs> with the Drogovic, you know, transfer waiver and obviously, you know, replacing AJ Dillon with, with, with Bailey, you know, could be, I think is going to be not a, a you know, going to be AJ Dillon-esque, but he's going to be pretty, pretty darn close. And honestly, he has a little bit more explosiveness than, than Dillon did, um, where Dillon, you know, was a bigger back. So, that offense has a lot of question marks, but that kind of seems like a lot of the ACC, especially down near the bottom of the Atlantic. So, I mean, not too, not too surprised there. Um, do you want to touch anything on the defense too, Dan? Yeah. Um, so up front, they do lose a couple of starters, or there will be a few guys that need to step in. They do actually return Marcus Valdez, who um, racked up 7.5 tackles for loss and a couple of sacks last year. Uh Linebackers will be led by Max Richardson. Um, he was very good last year, second team All-ACC, and he actually led the team in tackles by a ton. They also returned John Lamont and Isaiah McDuffel there. Um, corners, again, again they um, return everyone there. That group should be led by Brandon Sebastian, who um, you all might know for that crazy interception against Virginia Tech. That was him. And um, safeties, they really bring in an exciting name. Another former four-star recruit and Maryland transfer, Deion Jones. Um, and it seems like the starting role has opened up potentially for him. So I'm sure Eagles fans will be excited to maybe see his name in the lineup. Uh, overall, they kind of struggled a little bit there on that side of the ball last year, but they don't have any really significant departures. And with Richardson returning, I do expect to see at least slight improvement here on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's Boston College is one of those teams where, 
they're really not, you know, bringing back anything insane, but they did do a good job, especially, like you said, you know, picking up the Maryland transfer um, at the safety position. You know, it's definitely a huge addition, you know, Deion Jones. Again, wasn't a, a big-time player at Maryland, but he was a four-star uh, recruit out of high school, so by, by no means a, a bad pickup by Boston College there. You know, 2020 for recruiting on the Boston College front, I'm not too familiar. I don't know if fifth quarter BC has a, has a better understanding of where this class normally sits within, um, you know, BC history. But again, you know, they came in 13th in the ACC, uh, 63rd nationally ranked according to 24 seven sports. One thing I found really, really interesting was uh, Ozzy. I'm probably going to say this last name wrong. So excuse me, Ozzy, if you end up listening to this, but Ozzy Trapulo, an offensive tackle, um, actually out of Boston, Massachusetts, was the fifth highest, I believe. Let me see and confirm this for you. Uh, no, sorry, sixth highest recruit, according to 24-7 Sports, in the history of Boston College football. Again, this only goes back to 2000, but, I mean, that's a pretty big, you know, sign in that sense. Um, obviously, he has not enrolled yet. Only a few of the recruits have, you know, enrolled at Boston College already um, for the spring, which, you know, they all kind of got – now, I wouldn't say wasted, but, you know, got pushed away with, with everything going on with COVID-19. Uh, Dan, I know you mentioned that you had some stuff on those four-star tackles. That's where Boston College's recruiting class really, you know, stood out. Uh, give them credit. They, they definitely uh, anchored their recruiting class around the offensive line with a couple good tackles coming in there. I mean, like I said, their two four-stars uh, are both tackles with Ozzy and then Ke- uh, Kevin Pine from Milford, Mass., which I have no idea where that is in Massachusetts, so I'm sure maybe you two would know being from the Northeast. But, you know, definitely seems like they, they grabbed the kids, the top kids, especially on the offensive line in terms of things um, from the Massachusetts area. But, Dan, fifth quarter Boston College, you got anything you want to chime in about the recruiting class? All ears. You go ahead. Well, if you look at the class as a whole, it's a solid class, of course, headlined by Aussie and Kevin Pine. One of the more lesser talked about players they signed in the class, though, is uh, Corey Smith, an inside linebacker out of Highstown, New Jersey. Probably butchered that, but uh, I think he's going to be a player who you could for sure see contributing a little his freshman year, but definitely a guy to keep your eyes on to break out in a few years from now. And, uh, yeah, they did They did a pretty good job trying to keep the in-state recruits in-state. However, I don't believe they got the number one player in the state of Massachusetts. I'm pretty sure he went to Michigan. Yes, Khalil Mullings, they couldn't keep him in Boston. He went off to Michigan. They couldn't keep Zach Zinter as well. So if they really start keeping Michigan out of the state and keeping a lot of these better in-state kids, uh, I think you'll see a lot, a lot of pretty good recruits coming in. Yeah, um, I think the recruiting could definitely – improve under Hathley. Uh Boston College has actually been in the 60s or the 70s in recruiting in each of the last six years. But, um, yeah, I was watching some highlights a little bit, and there were a few players that I liked. Um, first off, the two four-star tackles that you mentioned, starting with Ozzy Trapolo, um, the other four-star and the highest-rated player from Boston College. Um, he kind of has that – you know, good build, maybe a little bit underweight, but um, he's very physical and athletic. And um, I read somewhere that he could easily bulk up to 300 pounds. I believe he is at 270 or so right now. And he has that NFL bloodline to fall back on. Um, also, there is Kevin Pine, um, also another lengthy, quick offensive lineman. Um, he was really able to dominate at the high school level, and he is another guy that might need to put on some weight for college, but should definitely be able to help them in the long run. And um, he was also an early enrollee, by the way, so it definitely won't help him either having no spring practice. But um, this is a, kind of an under-the-radar guy that kind of stood out to me, and that is Andre Hines. I don't know how much he will play in his first year, but – he is a running back from right around here, actually, in Brooklyn, New York. And um, he is a nice big back with some burst. Maybe not A.J. Dillon-esque, but I definitely think that he will serve them well. 
Yeah, no, I mean, like, you know, we kind of talked about Boston College. No, no, no disrespect to the Northeast, but there aren't that many, you know, it's like the North, not Massachusetts, Connecticut, or, or college uh, recruiting hotbeds by any means. So, you know, if, if Halfley can, you know, do his, his former school, Ohio State, a little bit of a favor by keeping Michigan out of the state and kind of keeping them in state at BC, you know, we really could see, you know, a lot of success. I mean, just look at what North Carolina has done. I mean, just in the last you know year or two with, with Mac Brown, you know, North Carolina has probably more talent than Massachusetts does. The big thing that was always killing UNC was kids weren't going to UNC. They weren't staying in state. They were leaving for Clemson. They were going to Georgia. They were going to state or even, you know, outside to go to Ohio state or, or Michigan where now, you know, they're committing indoors and, and staying in state uh, in, in state with UNC. So, you know, it's definitely a, a goal I'm sure Halfley has to make sure that those kids stay in state because, you know, if you can pull the top three kids from your state every single season, keep them here, you know, that increases the, you know, the reputation of further recruiting classes down the road, or maybe it can become top five, top seven, you know, that's definitely going to be huge moving down the road. I'd like that, you know, obviously Boston colleges and they're getting, they're getting the top offensive linemen, you know, you're not seeing the skill position, you know, five stars, four stars. And I'm sure Halfley's going to find a way to, to get some of those kids that, that are like that in the Northeast. So, you know, definitely not a great recruiting class, but, and it's really not Halfley's recruiting class anyways. It'll be interesting to see what they do for 2021, 2022. I do know that right now, um, you know, they are looking at a top, 60 class again they're, they're ranked 57th according to 24 7 sports they are ranked a little bit higher in the acc they're right now the 11th best class according to 24 7 sports in the acc so you know again it's really early things are but things are kind of heading the right direction it seems like with halfway on the recruiting trail um we'll see if that kind of carries over but you know like i said it's going to be it's going to be interesting boston college is probably not going to peak this year it's probably two three years away from you know hopefully you know that nine and three ten and two that you know, that Boston College is definitely striving for, but kind of transitioning into that, you know, we want to sit down and break down how we think 2020 is going to go by looking at the schedule. I know Vegas odds have them at five wins. Um, Boston College is actually projected to have four wins, I believe, according to CBS Sports on that article that I shared yesterday, which still not sure how that article came up with so many four and eight teams in the ACC, but it did um, just to kind of give – you know, an idea they had four and eight, one and seven for the ACC. As we go through the schedule, I'll mention the ones that, you know, CBS Sports has uh, as a win for the Eagles. Um, you know, week one, kicking it off the way the ACC seems to love to do it with a Friday night in-conference matchup to get it started. Uh, you know, the Syracuse Orangemen are coming to Chestnut Hill. Uh, could be, you know, it really is a season setter for both teams. I think Syracuse and Boston College are in very similar shoes um, in terms of, you know, a lot of what ifs. Boston College had a better year last year, but of course, you know, new coach, new system, potentially new quarterback, new running back, you know, where Syracuse has, you know, DeVito coming back, you know, obviously Dino Babers is still there. So there's a lot to kind of digest with that because there's a lot of what ifs with both teams. You know, is Syracuse going to live up to the hype that people had for them last year or was last year, not an anomaly and actually what's kind of to expect from Syracuse moving forward. And that, you know, that 10 and three season they had a few years ago was more of, you know, the outlier than anything else. And, you know, obviously how Boston college is going to react, you know, like we said, we're the most impacted team with COVID-19 in the ACC. So, you know, what do you guys think for that week one matchup with Boston college uh, hosting Syracuse in an ACC matchup? Yeah. So, um, kind of a toss-up i'm actually going to give them the win here um it might not be the prettiest game but i actually think that whatever kind of offensive struggles they are to have won't begin yet i am not too high on that syracuse defense and um you know they do still return david bailey and you know several offensive linemen so maybe that run they could kind of run all over the place I don't think their passing game will be there yet, but I do think they will be able to produce enough to pull off a win in week one. Close game, though. All right, so if last year was any indicator, BC had no problem running wild over that Syracuse defensive line. The offensive line really doing a great job establishing the run game that time. 
And uh, regardless of who's starting at quarterback, as long as the offensive line gets the push like they did last time, Bailey should have himself a good game, and it will be a war fought in the trenches, but they should be able to come away with a victory there against Syracuse. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think the one thing that we know about Boston College going into 2020 is they're still going to be able to run the football. Um, we still don't know necessarily how Syracuse's defense is going to be, how they're going to react. And again, this is maybe optimistic. You know, they might, the tenants might be affected, you know, with, you know, everything going on with COVID-19, but I'd like to think that alumni stadium will be rocking um, for the first game of the Halfley era, as well as, you know, I'm sure people are going to just be excited to, you know, have sports back again. I'd like to think that the atmosphere is going to, you know, kind of propel Boston college if they get in a situation where they need a big third down stop. Because uh, when Alumni Stadium is rocking, I'm sure you can attest to this with Florida, BC. But when it is rocking, it's actually a pretty difficult place to play. Um, so, you know, it's definitely going to be uh, an advantage in that sense. I think Boston College does start the season 1-0. CBS also agrees with us. They think this is the only ACC win for, for the Eagles. So, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. But, you know, this is really, you know, start the season off right. If they lose this game, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, damn them to not being in, in the play or in the in a bowl game. But, you know, if they lose this game, it's not going to get much easier down the stretch. So, you know, definitely it's a, a huge opening, kind of how UVA and Pitt was last year for the Hoos. You know, obviously it's a little bit different implications. UVA needed that to win the Coastal. But, you know, it's a jump starter. You know, Pitt kind of was slow out the gates after that where, you know, this could really jump start, you know, the season for Boston College and for Syracuse. But, you know, in this sense, obviously for Boston College. And then transitioning over week two, they host a, a pretty formidable MAC team with the Ohio Bobcats coming to town. Ohio is losing, or they have lost their starting quarterback from last year, Nathan Rourke, who was top three, if not top quarterback in the MAC. Um, you know, they are in a kind of a weird kind of stage with everything over at OU. And, you know, it is, you know, a transition for them as well. So, you know, I think that if we're just being honest, Syracuse should, or excuse me, Boston College should win this football game. Um, you know, Ohio is one of those teams where you can't just walk in and, you know, roll all over them and go home and, you know, just take the money and run kind of thing. But, you know, this is a team that Boston College should be able to do what they, what they did against Syracuse the week before, as we talked about, you know, establish the run game early and kind of just ground and pound them uh, into what should be a pretty good game. Athlete is actually pretty familiar with Ohio, being an Ohio State guy. You know, they recruit a lot of the same talent. Again, a lot of times the kids that go to OU were not going to go to Ohio State. But, I mean, Halfley's got, you know, that Ohio touch to him. He, he knows the, the staff over at OU. I think this is going to be one of those things where it should just be a clear Boston College victory. Do you guys disagree with me here? Um. Well, you know, Ohio U has played the ACC last year and, you know, both both um, UVA two years ago and Pitt last year, they got pretty comfortable wins, but Ohio U did kind of threaten a little bit. I know um, in 2018, Virginia got off to a pretty uh, big lead, and then Ohio U just all of a sudden almost came back, and I think they had a made a two-possession game at some point in the fourth quarter, and um, Pitt also, their offense struggled a little bit last year I believe like the final score was only like 20 to 10 or something like that so I don't think it will be a cakewalk for Boston College I do think they should get the win unquestionably um maybe they don't run up the score though uh yeah it won't be a blowout statement victory over Ohio where they win by some crazy amount like 50 points but should be a comfortable win where the whole way through Ohio's never really threatening to upset them and I think Bailey has himself another solid night, and BC walks away 2-0. and Yeah, uh, again, you know, CBS agrees with us. You know, obviously it's huge just to kind of get the season rolling. You know, wins kind of roll with momentum, so definitely huge. Week three is, you know, the first test for Boston College. It's, you know, I just like to take the, the Michigan revenge tour mantra that they had a few years ago um, with Chase Winovich. But, you know, last year – no one saw that coming, what happened, you know, met the Mad Hatter and, and Les Miles in Kansas come into Chestnut Hill on a Friday night and not only just win the football game, but absolutely dominate Boston College. I mean, that was a huge blow to 
the ego of the ACC as well as, you know, I think that's the game that kind of got Steve Adazio, you know, fired, if that makes sense. You know, obviously the Birmingham Bowl was that, you know, final push, but that was the game where they were like, if he doesn't write this ship and we're not having a winning record at the end of the season, this has got to, you know, this has got to be over. Um, I personally actually think that Boston College is not going to win this football game. Uh, I'm high, not high on Kansas in terms of, I don't think they're going to contend for a big 12 title. I think they're headed in the right direction. Um, I think that, you know, Memorial Stadium in in, in Lawrence is not going to be, you know, by any means, probably a sold-out crowd or anything like that. But, you know, it is the first real home game of the year for Kansas. They host New Hampshire to start the season, but, you know, that's not really going to entice that many folks. And then the week after, they go play at Baylor. So this is going to be kind of one of those games for Kansas where they really need to, you know, set the tone. Two and one's a lot better than one and two. So I personally don't like Boston College's chances here. Um, CBS actually disagrees with me. They do have um, Boston College beating Kansas on the road. Where do you guys sit with this? Yeah, I'm actually going to disagree with you too and agree with CBS. Um, I know they did lose by a lot last year, like you said, but I'm going to give Boston College a one-possession win here. Um, I just think the Jayhawks are not that good. I don't think that that big blowout will – happen again um and they do have a quarterback to replace in carter stanley who is actually really not that bad for them he was a very good quarterback and um i think they the kansas offense will struggle early so that's why i'm going to give boston college a win yeah last year was not a pretty game at all but and you always got to watch out for puka williams in that kansas offense but this year i mean coming in Halfley and Lakabu now going to definitely bump up that defense a lot in production. So I don't think Kansas blows them out. I think it's a close one. They go down to the wire, but ultimately Boston College wins uh, by about a field goal or a touchdown. Not a lot, and but it will definitely be a good game, and I could see it going either way. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I don't think it's going to be – I don't think Kansas does anything remotely close to what they did last year. But in, in games like this – I'll take the team I know a little bit more about, and I just know a little bit more about Kansas with, you know, what Les Miles is bringing to the table. So that's one of those games, you know, Dan and I talked about it, you know, when we were kind of designing these podcasts. What are toss-up games? This is definitely one of those. Um, Transitioning to week four is going to be one as well. Uh, We had the Eagles actually hosting Purdue. Purdue is one of those teams where, you know, two years ago took the world by storm, knocking off Ohio State, making a Music City Bowl appearance, and then, getting ran off the ran off the field by Auburn, if I remember correctly, in that Music City Bowl. And then last year, you know, failing, I think they finished 4-8 and eight or 5-7. and seven. I know they lost the old Oak and Bucket game late uh, against rival IU. That was probably the only Purdue game I really dialed into all year because I love that old Oak and Bucket rivalry game. But, you know, this is a Purdue team that you know, has talent. <laughs> it's, you know, well coached with Jeff Brom and, you know, Jeff Brom did make a statement, you know, by not taking the Louisville job when uh, it was open last before the beginning of last season. I actually think Boston College is going to get this one done. I know that it sounds like I'm just picking the home team for pretty much every game, which is, you know, so far been true. But I think because I have them losing at Kansas, I want to think that Halfley is going to have this get right game. You know, obviously, Ohio State and Purdue did not play when Halfley was there last season, but, you know, Halfley's got enough connections at Ohio State to probably get a really good scouting report on what to expect from Purdue. Um, you know, returning home, this is that first, you know, maybe not first, but the the big, definitely the big non-conference home game uh, for the Eagles. You know, September in, in Chestnut Hill is beautiful, so I like to think fans would come out for this. I like the Eagles' chances. I think that both teams are kind of going to be in similar systems, you know, they're going to have some pass options, but for the most part, it's just going to be who's going to win the battle of the trenches. And personally, I like Boston College just to, you know, get a little bit more on the on the offensive side when it comes to running the ball than Purdue does. And I got I got the Eagles winning a close one. But what do you guys think? I actually going to disagree with you. I really like Purdue a lot this year. Um, you know, last year you did say they did go four and eight, but they lost Rondell Moore, who I believe is one of the best wide receivers in the country and um they lost him for the whole season last year pretty much um I do think this one will be close but 
I like that Purdue offense a lot. Um, I don't know who they will be having at quarterback. It was kind of a split after their quarterback actually went down last year, too, in um, Elijah Sindelar. I don't know whether it will be Jack Plummer or Aiden O'Connell, but I really like that receiving core with um, Rondell Moore, and they also have David Bell, who had over 1,000 yards in his freshman season. So um, I think – I don't think the Boston College secondary is bad, but I think um, Purdue will be able to kind of have success in the passing game and get a a uh, close win, and that will be, in my opinion, Boston College's first loss of the season. Yeah, I think that Purdue offense kind of started – things started looking up for them at the end of the year when they let Plummer take the helm. And, of course, David Bell in that Indiana game had that insane – catch diving falling backwards one-handed but uh Tate Haynes and Brandon Sebastian are certainly solid cornerbacks but I I think they're no match for Rondell Moore and uh David Bell I think it's a relatively comfortable win for Purdue they come away with a two possession win probably about 14 points they beat Boston College yeah see I I agree with you guys to a point that offense obviously is huge for whatever reason, and Dan can attest to this, I still think Rondell Moore is a running back. Again, we talked about this on a previous uh, conversation, you know, how he's actually a wide receiver. You know, you'll see him in the backfield every once in a while. But for whatever reason, I always see him as a running back. But the thing that, that kind of makes me you know, positive about Boston College in this game is Purdue's run defense last year was atrocious, absolutely terrible. I mean, they were averaging giving up over close to 200 yards per game in rush, 4.74 yards per carry. I mean – Think about that. You do that every single time. That's a first down every three runs. I mean, I really like Boston College's offensive line. I really think that Halfley is going to take advantage of the fact that he still has, uh, I would say, a veteran back with Bailey. I really think that Boston College is going to not only take advantage of the fact that Purdue has a lot of question marks on can they improve on the defensive side of the ball, especially stopping the run, which you know, losing spring practice hurts them because that's probably what they were going to gear up the most for in spring ball. But also, I mean, like I said, I have Boston College losing to Kansas next, the week before. There's going to be a chip on that BC team's shoulder. I mean, they're still going to have that Adazio, you know, hard hat, you know, men kind of style of football, or they're just going to ground and pound. And I don't know. I just, I think, I think that's the game where you know Boston College, you know, gets some hype around that program and what Halfley's doing because you know beating Syracuse really isn't going to get you know the country excited. Where you beat a Purdue team that could potentially be ranked going into that game. Could be a huge piece for them. Obviously, transitioning to week five, I think we all know who we think is going to win this game, but we'll kind of just talk about it a little bit. It is Friday night. Uh, you know, the ACC's, you know, darling and Clemson is coming to town. You mentioned fifth quarter BC. You're hoping to potentially get to that game. Um, if I, if you do, good luck. Hopefully you don't mind uh, having nothing really to watch besides, you know, the backups for Clemson by the, the fourth quarter. But, you know, what do you guys think? Do you think Boston College actually has a fighting chance? Um, I'm personally thinking this is going to be one of those, you know, 42 to 10. Trevor Lawrence has done end of the third quarter probably kind of game. But what do you guys think? So first off, um, about the Rondell Moore thing, you're not completely wrong about him being, you know, a running back. He is definitely more of a wide receiver, but also kind of that hybrid. He did have over 20 carries and over 200 yards and two touchdowns in his freshman year from the backfield. But um, back to the Clemson game, um, I don't think there's really a lot to say here. I don't think they have much of a chance. Um, Clemson will kind of run them, throw them out of the building with Trevor Lawrence and um, those receivers. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I just – it's like the really the main reason I want to go there, it's like – not many times you'll get to see Trevor Lawrence live because it is not probably most likely not going to be a pretty game. I really don't think Boston College has much of a chance at all, and I would be completely shocked if they won the game. I Really, I'd be shocked if they lost by less than two scores. Uh, I think this is an easy one for Clemson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> and in the defense of Boston College, we'll probably be next week when we go on our Clemson podcast, Dan, I'm sure you and I are going to, saying that a lot about a lot of these Clemson games (laughs) but you know transitioning over to week week six you know the following week is a bye for them so 
you know, they host the Louisville Cardinals, who, in my opinion, are the second best team in the Atlantic Division. Um, I think Boston College could have a chance. Uh, I don't see it happening. I don't. I don't like their their odds in this one. I also think that you know, if they get into any sort of you know in the first half where it's kind of close with Clemson, you know, they are going to take a physical beating. That offensive line for Boston College is going to be blocking some dudes, as uh, you know Steve Adazio would say. So, you know, I I don't like their chances against Louisville. I actually think that that Louisville game could be worse early on than the Clemson game will be in terms of the score. I think in the end it'll kind of line up to be, you know, a 20-point game, you know, in favor of the Cardinals. But I'm also very high on Louisville this year. Dan, I know you kind of like Louisville. I know you're a big fan of Cunningham. Do the Eagles have a chance uh, in week six with the cards coming to town? I think they have a chance. I do. I will give Louisville a 10-point win. Yes, I really like. Mikal Cunningham. I know there are actually some Louisville fans still in the Evan Connolly train, but I really think Mikal Cunningham takes over there. Um, they do lose Louisville a little bit on their offense, of course, with Makai Becton, who has been drafted by my New York Jets. Congratulations to him and um, Des Fitzpatrick. But, of course, they return that dynamic 2-2 Atwell and um, – Hawkins at running back, JV on Hawkins. So I will give um, Louisville the win here. And um, Boston College will fall in my records back to 500 at 3-3. Three and three. Yeah, I think really what that game is going to come down to is if Boston College can get the run shut down for Louisville early and force them to pass the ball because really – most likely what will happen is Javian Hawkins will run crazy over them, but they can get Louisville to play to their weakness, which is still kind of playing to our weakness a little in that cornerback core. But either way, uh, Louisville will probably come away with a comfortable win, but I could see Boston College getting the upset if they, of course, keep Hawkins under control and have a good day on offense too as well. Bailey... If he has a nice game, gets the pass going because the run sets it up, I think they could definitely win. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility they get that one done. I just – I'm thinking, you know, with, with everything that's going on, the way that schedule is kind of – you know, you're you're almost limping a little bit, in my opinion, into a uh, into a bye week the following week with a you know, big game on, on the horizon afterwards. I think that's one of those games where – I mean, Louisville is the more talented team for sure. So I think it's going to show there. You know, they have a bye in week seven, but then they actually head to Blacksburg on a Thursday night. My plan is to hopefully be there. You know, Thursday nights in Blacksburg, weeknights in general in Blacksburg have not necessarily panned out really well for the Hokies. It's always rocking. You know, Lane Stadium at night is, is an experience, unlike really any other in college football. It's definitely very underrated. Boston College has won the last two games with, with the Hokies, you know, winning in Blacksburg in 2018, 31-21. That BC team was ranked going into Blacksburg. And, of course, that was the year Virginia Tech needed to beat Marshall on a, you know, added game, basically, or makeup game, quote-unquote, quote um, just to get the bowl eligibility. So, obviously, you know, Tech's trending in a more upwards direction where you know, Boston College, again, has a lot of question marks. I think going into Blacksburg, a team like Virginia Tech with a quarterback like Hendon Hooker, and, you know, a lot of just, you know, Trey Turner at the receiver position. I don't think Boston College is going to get this one done. I would not be shocked if this is one of those games where Hokies fans on Twitter are calling for Justin Fuentes head at halftime because Boston College is up three or up seven or something like that. And the Hokies are, you know, are ranked going into this game. But I don't think that Boston College pulls this out, but I think this game is going to be way closer. I think, you know, getting that bye week to really rest the offensive line. I think that the Boston College offensive line will have the advantage against, you know, the front seven for um, Virginia Tech. But, you know, the defensive secondary for Virginia Tech is pretty solid as well as, like I said, I mean, I think Hendon Hooker, you know, we have we have a quarterback we don't know about in Boston College. You know, maybe by then if Jerkovic is cleared to play by the NCAA and he's in his, you know, six, seventh start with the, with the Eagles, who knows? You might actually have, you know, a really good quarterback matchup but for all we know right now. I mean, Henry Hooker is obviously the clear-cut quarterback in this matchup, so I think the Hokies pull this one out. But um, where do you guys lie on this one? Yeah, I like Virginia Tech, too, here on the road. Um, I like the 
Hokies a lot this year in general. I think they're poised to compete for the Coastal Division. So I think Tech wins that by a few possessions. Um, I think they're just all around going to be a great team, especially on defense. They return a ton. Um, yeah, I'll give Virginia Tech a two-possession win. Yeah, Virginia Tech coming off a solid season last year, almost won that bowl game against Kentucky, and then now coming in this year with Hooker at quarterback, another year of experience for him. I think Virginia Tech comes away with a comfortable win here. I think BC will keep it close for a little bit, but down the stretch, they just cannot hang with that Hokies team, and they come away with a victory. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, you know, transitioning into what would be week nine, but, you know, the eighth game for the Eagles. Holy Cross, I mean, I'm assuming all of us are in agreement that, you know, this should be a a pretty clear-cut Boston College victory. No offense to Holy Cross, but it's not even like they're one of the FCS darlings. You have to, you know, really worry about, you know, potentially sneaking in there and pulling off an upset. You know, obviously, this is more of a, a, a money game for Holy Cross because, correct me if I'm wrong, fifth quarter BC, but Holy Cross is in uh, Wooster, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, so, you know, in-state helps, obviously, for recruiting purposes and just, you know, to kind of create that, you know, what Virginia Tech does with Liberty and what Virginia does with Richmond, so – um, I think we can all kind of agree. We don't really need a breakdown. I'm sure none of us, not none of us, really have a breakdown. I, I don't think any of you could probably name the starting quarterback for Holy Cross. I can't either. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think I think it's safe to say that BC gets the dub here. I think all of us are right now in agreement of record. We're both at four, or all three of us, excuse me, are at four and four. Um, of course, we have a flip up between you guys having BC losing to Purdue. I have them losing to Syracuse or Kansas, excuse me, to make it in that four and four slot. Next up, and what I, what I would consider to be the biggest toss-up game for the Eagles this season, they head down here into my home state of North Carolina, about an hour over the road from me in Raleigh, to play NC State. Uh, for those of you that didn't read the article, or if you guys haven't seen it either, for the uh, for CBS Sports, they are high on NC State. I mean, eight and four, you know. <laughs> top three in the Atlantic and I want to know why because I personally am the opposite I'm thinking more four and eight Dave Doran's gone at the end of the year um I want to say NC State wins at home but I think Halfley sends a message I think that this is the year that NC State just isn't there I, I don't I don't I'm not high on NC State I the quarterback position with Leary could you know get better but I'm not I'm not super high on it. I think Boston College sneaks one out, gets a big conference road victory first of for Halfley. Um I think five and four for Boston College at this point is, you know, ideal, you know, what people were hoping to get from Halfley. Kinda wanna hear what you guys have to think is like I said, this is the biggest toss up game for me because you know, going to NC State's no easy task. NC State's got a lot to play for with Dave Dorn being on the hot seat and you know there is a lot of mixed reviews on NC State. I've seen, you know, like I said, eight and four. I've seen two and ten. So, kind of want to see what you guys think uh, for BC heading over to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina to play State. Yeah, so I definitely agree. I am not eight and four high on NC State, and I think um, they really won't be that great this year with Devin Leary at quarterback. He does have potential, but um, I'm actually at the same time going to give them a close loss. Um, I just think on the road, kind of evenly matched. And I think um, I think Leary just has a little bit more upside at quarterback. I think NC State has a little more upside as a team. And, um, yeah, I'm going to give NC State the one possession win here. I think this one is going to come down a lot to if Phil, of course, gets that waiver. Because if he gets it, I think for sure, if you looked at what his upside was at Notre Dame, he would definitely be able to go toe-to-toe with any team in the ACC there. And I think he'll be able to win against any team here if he reaches, of course, his true potential. He is just a complete gunslinger there at QB who can get out of the pocket. And if he can do that against NC State, I don't have a doubt they'll be able to win that game. But if Grissel, of course, is the starter – which is a very likely possibility. I don't think they come away with a win there against the Wolfpack. So I think that's entirely down to is the waiver a yes or no? 
Yeah, and that's and that's definitely something that the facts are in there. I mean, I think that he's going to get the waiver just based off everything that's going on right now. They're going to find a way to get you know everyone just clear. Just this, I think that one time, you know, free transfer is just going to start happening in college football. It's going to create free agency, but you know, in a way, I mean, if coaches can get up and leave at any point, why can't a player do it once as well? Um, so I think that I think that's probably why I have them going to Raleigh and getting the win. And like I said, I'm I'm very pessimistic about state um, this season. So that definitely factors into everything and and everything like that. And if you guys can't tell, I've definitely uh, embraced living in North Carolina for the last month because now I'm calling NC State State. I never used to do that. So that's definitely starting to kick in. But moving into the next matchup, you know, the tenth matchup for for the Eagles in Week 11 is the other state from the other state I'm from, Florida. So Florida State, you know, new coach as well with Mike Norvell. He's coming into a little bit better of a situation, in my opinion, than Halfley is obviously with Boston College. Um, some huge decisions on the F- on FSU side, you know, Terry to come back, um, as well as you know Wilson and things like that. So you've got some pieces, you know, that are, are, are huge. DJ Matthews is going to be a, a big piece offensively. You know, I, I'm pretty high on James Blackman. I don't think he's, you know any better than, you know, a top uh, Trevor Lawrence or uh, a Sam Howell or anything like that. But I think if he's given time to protect himself, then, you know, that'll be huge. Uh, Boston College's defensive line is by no means, you know, great, but it's no mean, you know, nothing, nothing special. I think, you know, going to Tallahassee is, you know, going to be in the end, you know, a home win for, for Florida state. I and mean, I don't see why Florida state, you know, has, they have way more talent in that sense. Um, I think they get it done. I, I, I'm curious what you guys think. I think I think we're all going to be in agreement here, but I have the Knowles in this one. <clears throat> yeah, um, the other ACC team with a new coach, Florida State, and they do have a lot of question marks as well. So this game might be closer than you think. But again, on the road, I have to give it to a slightly better team in the Knowles. Um, I think actually Tamori on Terry, the real scary Terry. I don't know about that other guy that plays for that big 10 school in Ohio or that played for that big 10 school in Ohio. But um, I think he is really going to emerge in that offense and um, really a big play threat. So I'm going to give Florida state, I'll say seven to 10 point win. Yeah. Florida state was a team who had a pretty sloppy season last year, but I think Norvell was a great hiring for them. He's going to completely change it up there. And, uh, Dolk will probably be pretty loud that game, and it definitely will not be easy for Boston College. So I think, as we previously mentioned, Terry has himself a pretty nice showing. And uh, But I would not be surprised to see Boston College win just because if Dracovich is playing – I probably butchered that – but if he is playing and Colby White, we say, has himself a good night, which is very possible – I think BC could pull off the upset here, but would not be surprised if it went either way. Most likely will be an FSU win, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Boston College, we've said it over and over again. If, if this was a drinking game, we might have some listeners that would be, be hammered by, by the end of this podcast. But, you know, they have the most question marks. And, you know, there is a lot of what-ifs. You know, if, who knows? I mean, Boston College could be clicking by this point with Djokovic. We don't know. You know, obviously – transitioning into the next week, you know, huge game with North Carolina, the coastal favorite. Um, this game is going to be, I think one that comes down to, you know, it, it's that game where Virginia tech Miami fans are, are going to be really supporting Boston college in this one. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Sam Howell can do, you know, obviously mid to late November in, in, in Massachusetts, it's a little bit chillier than it is down here in North Carolina. So, you know, there might be a little bit of an element factor there too. Um, I'm actually hoping to make this game. I know you said you were thinking about going to that as well, uh, fifth quarter BC, but I don't think Boston college really has, you know, a chance here. I mean, they, 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 they've, they've played a pretty tough schedule. I mean, that NC state game's a toss up game, you know, Florida state, big team toss up game. I mean, returning home for senior day, you know, could add some extra, you know, juice to it, but I personally think that North Carolina has just got too much, you know, trending in the right direction for them. I think that North Carolina will be playing for a division crown and probably will be in the top 25 at this point. So I think that in the end, this game is, you know, this is going to be more, you know, 
the only way I see Boston College winning is if you know North Carolina plays to lose because they're you know they're they're battling for that conference uh, title position spot. So, curious what you guys think. I think I, I don't think it's a blowout, but I, I I would be I'd be shocked to think that you know Boston College would win this one. Yeah, um, I if anybody has been having any conversation with me about the ACC in any sort would know that I am extremely high on UNC this year. I love Sam Howell. I think he is a Heisman contender this year at quarterback. Um, I just think their offense in general is great with Ziami Brown, Daz Newsome, Bo Corrales at wide out. Their running gain is good. Their offensive line is not bad. Um, and I think their secondary will definitely improve this year. So I think UNC – really blows them out of the building in this Yeah, game. Howell's a guy I really, really like at quarterback at them, and I think he's going to have a big year this year. I mean, coming off a year where he broke down and studied Joe Burrow's film, he's going to be playing with a lot of intensity. I think UNC has a double-digit win year. I don't really see any, any situation here where Boston College beats them. I think senior night is soiled, and North Carolina gets a very comfortable win and howls out of it by the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, you know, going into this last week with Boston College coming down here to Winston-Salem, my hometown, uh, to play the Deeks. You know, for you guys, it, it doesn't necessarily matter as much. You guys have them at four and seven currently. I have them at five and six. I don't see Boston College winning this game with Wake. I've seen, you know, CBS Sports is one of them has, you know, Wake being four and eight this season. They do have Wake winning this matchup. But I think that the Deacons, you know, they always find a way, especially if they're on the cusp, you know, if they're five and six, they always find a way to win that week 12 matchup, especially if it's at home. I will say Boston College has had decent success with Wake Forest. I was at the game two years ago that, got moved up to like a five o'clock start on a Friday because of the hurricane that was coming and AJ Dillon had himself a day and and what looked like it should have been a, a Wake Forest victory early in the season ended up being a, a pretty convincing win for the Eagles um, but I, I think that in the end you know Boston College just doesn't have enough I'm a big fan of Sam Hartman at quarterback um, you know obviously they still have some receivers uh, sticking around at, at Wake Forest and you know, I think the defensive front led by Boogie Basham at Wake is going to be enough to, you know, make things lean towards Wake. And this is one of those toss-up games. But I think that Boston College is only going to get one win in the Carolinas this year. And I, I'm more favored towards that happening against State than against Wake. But where do you guys lie with this? Yeah, um, I'm actually going to give them – I'm actually going to think that they're going to end their season with a road win in Wake. Um, I don't think they're the better team at all, and I I do like Sam Hartman, although um, I actually did recently watch that game two years ago. I recently watched the replay of that game, and Sam Hartman looked really bad, but um, I just have a feeling that Hapley will pick up the boys and uh, snap their losing streak with a road win to end the season. This prediction is very tentative, and it may change in the future when we do that Wake Forest podcast a bunch of weeks from now, but that's what I have for now. And that, in that case, they will end the season at five and seven. Of course, Wake Forest coming off last year where they started off hot, and then now coming into this year, they lost Jamie Newman, but Stage Surat will be coming back. I think he's going to have himself a big season, and I think against Boston College here, Sebastian has a hard time containing him, and I think Surat has himself a big day. And Wake Forest walks away with a victory here against the, the Eagles. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the, the connection of Hartman and Surratt will be, be one to, to look for. Um, so kind of wrapping that up, none of us have Boston College making a bowl game. Uh, Dan and I have them at five and seven. Uh, we both have one, one, two conference victories for the Eagles. And then you have them at four and eight and a one and seven conference record. Uh, the Vegas win total, like I mentioned, is five for the Eagles. Um, if I was a betting guy, I would stay completely away from it. I'd be more likely to bet the over, in my opinion. I think that there's a lot of toss-up games. That, you know, in our predictions, we have them mainly going the other way, where you know they could have one or two that go the Eagles' way. Um, so 
again, that's kind of you know one of my my opinion on that five win total. As you as you know, Dan and I are right there at five, so we have nothing to bet. And you know, fifth quarter BC's got him at four and eight, which honestly good for you. I was expecting him to have a better record than what Dan and I had going in for BC, but you know, it's always nice to see a little bit of honesty with that. But um, with that being said, I mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of fifth quarter BC. I think that the 2020 year for Boston College is that famous term year zero for Scott Halfley or Jeff Halfley, excuse me. I don't know why I keep saying Scott Halfley, but Jeff Halfley. And, you know, it could be one of those things where the Eagles, you know, could succeed and be seven and five, six and six, or, you know, could be three and nine, four and eight. So I think this is one of those years where, especially with everything that's going on with COVID-19, you kind of just got to go into the season just excited to have football back. I don't think any Boston College fan is expecting a, a trip to any, you know, major bowl or anything like that in 2020. Um, but worse to see how this team kind of responds to the new coaching staff. But fifth quarter, fifth quarter BC. Any uh, yeah, I'm optimistic about the season, but I'm not letting my hopes get too high up. I think a lot of the season, of course, as previously mentioned, will come down to does Phil get the waiver? And if he can play, I think we could see them shock a few teams here and there as pre like I said I think they could definitely beat Florida State if Phil is playing and uh Louisville is another game I could see them maybe winning if Phil plays a little less don't think they have a as good of a chance as they're doing as Florida State though should he play but uh really Bailey I think will step up into Dylan's role and he won't produce the same exact numbers but he'll produce similar numbers all in all BC is just Year zero, like you said, they just try and get stuff back on track here. They go four and eight. And then next year, I think they have a solid recruiting class and they step it up. Maybe six and six, seven and five, have a better year next year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is like we, like, like you said, a lot of reason for optimist, optimism with the Eagles. And, you know, if Phil Jurgovic can get that waiver, you know, things could be completely different. We could be doing our week six uh, game by game previews and, be looking at, you know, predicting Boston College to pull one out in Blacksburg or pull one out, you know, at Wake or, you know, at Florida State or even at home against UNC. We just don't really know um, too much about the Eagles right now, especially with no spring ball. Um, but, yeah, that kind of concludes, you know, the Boston College 2020 uh, season preview. Obviously, it's a little bit too early. Um, but week by week, Dan and I will be breaking down with hopefully some more guests as we go along, uh, breaking down each ACC team for 2020. Um I do want to take a minute to talk about uh, the ACC logo ranking that's going to be happening on my page. So we are going to be sending out a form to everyone that liked the tweet, comment on the tweet, basically anyone that interacted with the tweet that, you know, wanted to be a part of the, the voting panel for the ACC. How we're going to do it is it's actually going to be a scaled ranking. So I don't want to make people do one through 14 because it just gets too difficult. I mean, to be honest, like, how do you, what makes you decide, you know, Syracuse, NC State, you might have them six, seven, eight, nine, but really not care. They might be just as good as six or just as bad as nine. So you're actually going to rank them on a scale of one to one to 10. And then that way we can kind of tally up points to really, you know, set a bar. Cause you know, for example, you might really like Boston college's logo at three, but then, you know, Wake Forest is at 11 and you don't really like it. So we're kind of obviously going to do that. This will include the new Virginia logos. I'll let Dan, give his piece on it. I know I personally have no hard feelings towards the, the new V Saber uh, primary logo, just a change in the, you know, the way things are not sure. How I feel about what I would call the crying caveman logo um, with the, the, the bent head and the, and the, the, I've heard the white claw Zorro. That one was pretty good. Shout out to the Virginia tech fan that sent me that. If I remember your username. I'd shout you out, but you know, there's, it's it's a change. No one likes change. Um, I've been in an organization, my f- uh, full-time job, where we've changed the logo, and I was not a big fan of it. So, you know, it takes time. I'm not necessarily – I don't hate it. I don't love it. Dan, how do you feel about it? Yeah, um, I'm actually more focused on the concept of the entire rebranding than the logos itself. Um, and I'm really not opposed to it at all. I just love how – Virginia is trying to become a national brand because quite frankly, they've had a lot of um, success as an athletics, as an athletics department as of late. I mean, of course you have the basketball national championship, but they also have really good teams now in baseball, the soccer's, the lacrosse's, 
and now football even. So to try to grow the popularity of UVA sports is definitely a great decision. Um, I do think it came off as a bit shocking. And I know people have mixed feelings about the logos. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think the primary logo, the V Sabres, is just just a nice little modernized look of the old one. No problem with that. I don't think most people would agree. Um, the secondary logos with the – a lot of people kind of critique that. I think it honestly looks like one of those logos you're going to have for Madden <laughs> Ultimate Team. But um, kind of – but um, I actually really like the – the alternate logos, the um, it's kind of just an upgraded look of the V Sabers with kind of a shield there, but um, I think the font and jersey should be good too. But anyway, um, I think like you said, people are always going to be opposed to initial change, but I do see it as an overall positive for the program because it really doesn't matter what we think; it matters what the recruits think, and um. I don't think they really will have a problem with it. I think, if anything, it should be a positive yeah, for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, with that being said, I want to thank you all for listening. Fifth quarter BC, thanks for hopping on. Uh, we'll be back again next week previewing Clemson, our probably our preseason favorite in the conference. I don't want to you know, break any spoiler alerts here or anything like that. But um, we appreciate you guys listening and participate along in that uh, logo poll. I want to see who you guys think has the best logo in the ACC. I won't reveal mine yet, but I'll give you a hint. It's it's not a North Carolina team. Um, but, yeah, with that being said, we appreciate y'all for listening. Remember, you know, we're happy to be here, and it just means less. Stay safe, stay healthy, and go ACC.